Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. We are continuing our series uh, on in the book of Proverbs. We're in part three, and my subtitle today is Wealth and Wisdom. And so I want to talk to you today about the relationship between wealth and wisdom. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about the relationship between these two things. The word wealth means a great quantity or store of money, valuable possessions, property, or other riches. It's an abundance of anything, the state of being rich, prosperity, affluence. Uh, and this is what I need you to know as we continue this message today. Money and wealth in and of themselves, they're not evil or good. In other words, wealth and money is amoral, okay? But how we gain wealth determines whether it is evil or good. Uh, what we do to keep our wealth determines whether it is evil or good. And how we use our wealth determines whether it is evil or good. And I think this is important to clarify and understand because some people think that wealth uh, or an abundance of resources is a sign of God's blessing while poverty is a result of sinfulness. Well, I, I know some very wealthy people who are very ungodly, and I know some people that don't have hardly anything at all that are very godly. Others, on the other hand, they believe that wealth and riches are inherently evil, and the only way to spirituality is to be dirt poor. But I know some very wealthy people that are very godly people, and I know some people that don't have much at all that are not very godly. So both of these perspectives are false. So the text that we're going to be looking at, one of the texts we're going to be looking at this morning, and the one we're going to begin with is found in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 8, starting with verse number 17. And I know sometimes when you talk about money, it gets a little awkward or you feel like it doesn't relate to you because of the stage of life you're in, but Jesus talked a lot about money, and the Bible talks a lot about money. It's because we need money for pretty much everything in this world, and so it's very important that we understand what the Bible says about money. So I promise you, uh, hopefully this is going to relate to where you're at in your life right now. So Proverbs chapter 8, starting with verse number 17, and it says this, I, talking about wisdom, love those who love me. And those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit, wisdom's fruit, is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Although wealth is not always a sign of God's blessing on your life, it can be when you are living your life according to biblical wisdom. For example, wisdom's self-control ability to plan, take advice from others, and delay gratification tends to bring about greater prosperity in your life. For example, saying no to a bigger TV, putting a bigger TV on credit because you just bought another, you just bought a TV about a year ago, but because football season is starting, thank you Jesus, okay, because football season is starting, I want a bigger TV, but I don't have the money for it, so I'm going to put it on credit you see, delayed gratification. Wisdom says, you know what? I can't afford it, so I'm going to wait until I have enough cash so that I can buy it. 
okay? Or maybe in the meantime, you realize, I don't really need a bigger TV. I got a big enough TV. But that's delayed gratification, saying no to what you want right now because that is what wisdom is. And waiting is a word that us Americans hate, don't we? We hate waiting. We hate waiting for anything. That's why Amazon is going to be the most uh, valuable company in the world soon because you can just get it right then and they'll deliver it to you the day after if you've got Amazon Prime. And I thank God for Amazon Prime as well. But sometimes it's good to wait. Sometimes it's wisdom to wait. Okay? Proverbs 10.22 says this, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. What I'd like to bring your attention to is the phrase, without painful toil. That phrase speaks to the distinction of wealth that comes from the blessing of the Lord. Without painful toil speaks to the unhealthy consequences of trying to pursue wealth through overworking yourself, as some call it, workaholism. Okay, do I have any workaholics in this place? Okay, without painful toil is talking about that destructive addiction of overworking yourself. Some people are so addicted to material possessions that they drive themselves into the ground trying to fulfill that need. Some people are so scared that they're going to run out of money that they drive themselves into the ground in order to feel secure and safe. Okay? Some people destroy their families because of workaholism. There are people who have a lot of money, they have a lot of possessions, they have a, they have a life that others look at them and they think, wow, I wish I could have what they had. But their wife feels neglected and their kids hate them because they feel like they are secondary to their work. Some parents miss all of their children's milestones, like their games and ballet recitals and award ceremonies and school presentations and graduations simply because they had to get that next client or win that next account or counsel that needy church member. The wise person guards themselves from overwork, but that doesn't mean they don't work hard. Okay? The wise person works incredibly hard, but at the end of the day, they allow the blessing of the Lord to determine how wealthy their work makes them. How do you know when you are overworking? Well, get you a spouse that will call you out on it, okay? <laughs> My wife will gently remind me when I have not spent enough time, quality time, with her and the kids, okay? But for those of you that don't have a spouse, uh, Norwegian researchers from the Department of Psychosocial Science at the University of Bergen identified specific symptoms that are characteristic of workaholics. Researchers, cre researchers created a work addiction scale which uses the following seven criteria to assess the likelihood that an individual possesses a work addiction. And, and I just want to let you know these seven things, you've got to contextualize them. I don't have enough time to go deep into all seven things, and so just take it with a grain of salt. But uh, th these are the seven criteria to assess whether you, are, uh, whether you have a work addiction or not. Okay? Number one, you think of how you can free up more time to work. Okay? Second thing, you spend much more time working than initially intended. The third sign of overworking 
and this is a big one, you work in order to reduce feelings of guilt, anxiety, helplessness, and or depression. Number four, you have been told by others to cut down on work without listening to them. Number five, you become stressed if you are prohibited from working. Some of y'all don't even have that struggle at all. You get happy if you're prohibited. Number six, you deprioritize hobbies, leisure activities, and or exercise because of work. Any of you guys guilty of any of these seven? I was guilty of a few. And number seven, you work so much that it has negatively influenced your health. Some of you are unhealthy because you are overworking yourself and you're neglecting the way you eat, your exercise, and all of those things, and your health is suffering because of it. So what's the proper way to view wealth? And this is a crucial question that each of us need to answer simply because of the city we live in. Because how many of you know, no one comes to New York City to settle down or retire, do they? (laughs) We're not thinking, let's settle down and let's move to New York City or let's retire and, and let's get a tiny, tiny apartment with no space and go to New York City. Nobody does that if they're in their right mind. Everyone that's in this city, they are on a mission, right? On a mission to make it on Broadway, on a mission to get their degree, on a mission to make it on Wall Street, on a mission to make it in the music business, on a mission to establish their startup, okay? We are the city that never sleeps. We're the city that cars don't let you over into the next lane because where they're going is more important than where you're trying to go, right? We're the city where you better order your food fast or the worker, okay, the worker will pass you up and they'll take the order of the person behind you. I've had, I've had, that, I've had to get used to that. I need to know exactly what I'm going to order because I've, I, I have gotten up and I, I've taken a little bit too long, like a second, to try to order my food and they pass me up, okay? You got you to be quick when you order your food. The culture here in our city is to overwork ourselves. The culture here is to view wealth as a status symbol. Wisdom's approach to wealth is different than the world's approach to wealth. Okay? And if we're not careful, we may fall into the trap of approaching wealth the way everyone around us is approaching it. So I want to give you wisdom's approach to wealth. Wisdom's approach to wealth is to be grateful for it, but not to put your hope in it. Wisdom's approach to wealth is to be grateful for God's blessing in your life, to be grateful for the ability to create money, but not to put your hope and your trust in that. And I understand that all of us are at different levels financially. Some are more secure than others. Some make more money than others. Some, you are in a career. Others of you, you are just trying to make ends meet. But whatever level you're on, you need to have this attitude towards wealth and money because whether you are wealthy, poor, or somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. If you have an improper view of money and wealth and finances, you can have an unhealthy relationship with it. Okay, First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And here's the deal. Some of you, when you, when you hear uh, command those who are rich in this present world, you automatically check out and you think you don't relate. But let me tell you something. If you live in America, which I'm assuming all of you do because we're in America, the, the rest of the world considers you rich. If you have a roof over your head, the rest of the world considers you rich. If you have money for groceries and money to eat out, the rest of the world considers you rich. If you have shoes to wear, if you have clothes to wear, if you have a different outfit to wear every day, the rest of the world considers you and I rich. If you have, if you have a smartphone or an iPad, the rest of the world considers you rich. So this does relate to you. And here's the thing, if we don't have a biblical perspective on wealth, we can fall into the trap of either idolizing wealth or demonizing wealth. And we should do neither of those things. Okay, Proverbs 18, uh, verse number 10 and 11 says this, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. When we make, this message is really about our heart. It's not about wealth or money or riches or any of those. It's really about our, heart, about our hearts. When we make wealth an ultimate thing, we can deceive ourselves by thinking that wealth is a source of security for the future and that it will somehow protect us from the painfulness of the world. What does the writer of this verse mean when he says the wealth of the rich is their fortified city? Well, during this time, people who were influential lived in the city, okay? People who were powerful and wealthy lived in the city. People who had white-collar jobs lived in the city. People who were farmers and part of agriculture, they lived outside of the city, but people who had white-collar jobs lived inside of the city. And the city was fortified by walls that surrounded the city to protect the inhabitants from enemy intruders. And so you would build walls to protect you from the enemy. So you were protected and secure inside the walls. And so what this means to you and I is that the fortified city was a place of both significance and security. Okay? What that means for us is that some people find significance through money. Okay? People who find their significance or importance in money tend to overspend because they're trying to portray an image. They're, they're trying to look wealthy. They're trying to look like they're part of a social class. They're trying to look like they fit in with influential people. So they tend to overspend their money. So no matter how much money they make, they never have any money at the end of the month because they're, they're living a lifestyle trying to keep up with other people in the social class that they want to be a part of. Having wealth makes them feel important, so they tend to buy fancy clothes. They tend to buy designer clothes. They tend to buy high-end cars. They tend to live in expensive neighborhoods so that everyone will know that they are significant and that they are important. Or if they don't have a lot of money, they will go into deep debt in order to keep up with the Joneses. Because to them, wealth is a status symbol, okay? And while some people find their significance through money, others use money for safety. People who use money for safety and security tend to be stingy. 
They don't, want to, they don't want to give it away. They don't want to spend it on anything because every dollar they give away makes them feel less secure and less safe. So the more money they have stored away in a bank account somewhere, the more secure, the more safe that they feel. So how do we build wealth in our lives the biblical way? How do we become prosperous people the, the biblical way where we don't where we don't use it for our significance and where we don't use it for our security because those things can only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's why Jesus really talked about money a lot because money is the greatest counterfeit to God that this world has to offer. Okay, it's not carved idols and images and other religions. Money is the greatest counterfeit and I believe that's why Jesus talked about money and our heart and talked about that relationship so much in his teachings. So how do we build wealth and how do we become prosperous people? And I don't think it's wrong to want to be successful or prosperous as long as we don't make it the main thing and as long as we understand the dark side of these things because there is a dark side to these things. But here's the deal. The more we have, the more we're able to give. And that should be our perspective. The more money we make, the, the more generous that you and I can be. The more money we have, the more we can do to bless other people and live out the gospel. The more money you make, the more money you can give to our church. Okay? And the more money you give to our church, the more impact we can make in our neighborhood. Okay? That's the deal. So I want you to be prosperous. I want you to be blessed because we can reach more people when we have more resources. There are so many times that Priscilla and I will hear about someone that we love that is in a difficult financial situation and we'll look at, our, we'll look at each other and say, man, I just wish I had the money so that we could just bless them and take care of the situation. And sometimes when we hear about a situation, we are able to do something about it and bless someone. But there are a lot of times where we, we just don't have the ability to do anything about it. So we, we pray for them. We try to figure things out. But at the end of the day, we can't meet that need. But when we, but, but when we have a proper view of money and wealth and all those things, man, we can be need meters. We can be problem solvers, amen? We can be a blessing to other people. So how do we build wealth the biblical, wise way? And I'm not sitting up here as some sort of Dave Ramsey expert because I, I am not in any way, shape, or form wealthy. But what I, what I wanted to do in this message is look at the Bible and talk about what the Bible says, okay? And so hopefully that will help you. So number one. How to build wealth the biblical wise way. Hard work, baby. <laughs> There's no way around it. Hard work. Proverbs 12, 11 says, those who work their land will have abundant food. Those who work their land will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies have no sense. You know anybody that chases fantasies? Okay? They don't have no sense. This verse is talking about farming and agriculture, because that was uh, the, the majority of what people did during the writing of, this, uh, of, this, of these scriptures, okay? So what the writer was saying is, if you make your living from the crops in your fields, you better spend your time working the ground of your fields, okay? Chasing fantasies means that your energy and time is going towards things that are a waste of time, 
and not a part of growing the crops in your field. In other words, when you're at work, focus on your work, not surfing the internet or social media, unless, of course, it's part of your job. Staying with the farming theme. If you are wanting an abundance of corn during harvest time, it's not going to happen in your bed at 11 a.m. wishing for it to happen, or you daydreaming of an abundance of corn. It's only going to happen as you get out into that field. You, you, you get your hands dirty, you pull the weeds out of the field, you till the ground, you, you fertilize the ground, you plant the seed, you water the seed, and then you believe God for the harvest. That's the only way it's going to happen with hard work, getting our hands dirty. We need to be responsible to do what we can do and then trust God with only what he can do. Amen. We need to pray like it depends on God, but work like it depends on us. And when we have those two things coming together, God can do some incredible things through our lives. And the framework for work in the book of Proverbs as we read about work comes from actually the beginning, the book of Genesis. If, we, if you remember in the creation narrative, we see God creating and working and that work being a good thing. When he created humans, he got his hands dirty. He formed them out of the dust of the ground, then breathed life into them. Okay, when he, when he created the world, he was working Okay, he was speaking things into existence and forming and fashioning them, and then he called it good. Okay, God created us in his image, so the work that we do, if we're doing it to bring God glory, is good. Work is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. God created it before the fall of the world. And so God rewards hard work. God rewards hard work. So we're talking about how to build wealth biblically and wisely so that we can be generous to give to God's kingdom. That's why we're talking about this today. So the second thing is integrity in our work. Integrity in our work. As a pastor of a church that doesn't have a budget for office space, I could, throughout the week, I could... Uh, I could be wasting all sorts of time. I could be binge-watching The Office, okay? Then I, I could steal a sermon on Sunday and come up on Sunday and preach a sermon, and you guys would never know what I was doing all week long, okay? But God knows. And, and you can ask my wife. I'm very integral with my time. I keep my office hours to work on sermons. I keep my office hours to write emails, send texts, to plan events, to do all of the administrative work to meet with people, all of the administrative work that goes with pastoring a church. I, I, try to be, uh, uh, I try to be integral with that because I know you guys can't see me, but God can see me. So I want to I live my life with integrity, okay? Uh, and, and I think that's very important. It's important that we are people with integrity. It's important that you and I do our work with integrity, that we don't cut corners that we're honest with our clients, that we are honest with our boss when he asks us if we're finished with the project he asked us to do and not just lie and say, yes, I am, because your intentions are to finish the project, but you're honest and integral with him or her. Proverbs 11, 1 and verse 3 says this, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. 
dishonest scales in this context meant that when you would sell grain or, or some sort of product and it needed to be weighed, what, what you would do was you would rig the scale so what your customer was buying actually looked like it was heavier than it actually was and so you could charge a steeper price for it. That is what uh, the, the author was talking about when he said, when he talked about dishonest scales. Uh, another form of a dishonest scale is taking bribes or bribing people in order to get what you want, okay? It's not only what we do that matters, it's also how we do it that matters, okay? I've talked to a few pastors here in the city that were basically, they were kicked out of their rental church venue because a bigger church swooped in and either offered more money or they used their influence to get into that space. And if this was done intentionally, that is unintegral work, okay? Whether you're the church or business or not, that, is, that lacks integrity. And that's not, that's not how we should do things, okay? If you exaggerate the truth in order to secure a client, that is lying and that lacks integrity, okay? If you tell someone you're going to do something, follow through with it even if you don't feel like it because your word is important. Your word is all you have. So you need to follow. When you say you're going to do something, follow through or communicate with them as to why you can't do it. That is integrity. I've had people tell me that they're going to do something and then last minute completely go back on their word. You can't trust people like that. You don't want to work with people like that. You don't want, you know, you don't want to do, you just, when you can't trust someone, you, don't, you can only go so far in that relationship with that person, right? As believers, especially, our integrity matters. What we do when no one's looking matters. Being the same person by yourself and in front of people matters and is important. Because at the end of the day, other people might not know what we're doing or what we're not doing, but God sees everything. How to build wealth biblically and wisely so that we can be generous towards God's kingdom. Number three is excellence in our work. Excellence in our work. Proverbs 22 and 29 says this. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. The word skilled there in verse 29, it means to do something with excellence. It means to do something with excellence. And excellence is not perfection, so let's not hear that when I talk about excellence. Doing something with excellence means that we do the best with what we have. It's simply doing the best job that we can do with the resources, with the tools, with the gifts that we are given. Okay? Doing something with excellence means that we are giving full effort, that we're not half-heartedly going through the motions. Okay? Excellence is found in the attention to details. Okay? We strive to do things with excellence here at the Grace Place NYC. And we're not perfect, just like any other church isn't perfect, so we don't always succeed, but excellence, skillfulness, is always the goal. Okay? We want people to feel like they are valued when they come to our service on Sunday morning. 
We want people to think that we, we want people to know that we are thinking about the details of their lives when they come through our doors and, and they and they make the Grace Place NYC their home. We want to present our different spaces with excellence, whether it's as you enter through those front doors uh, or, or as, as you come into the auditorium through our service or whether it's the kids spaces, whether it's upstairs with the kids or in the nursery or in the in the lobby area. We want all of our spaces. We want to present those spaces with excellence, okay? And so excellence, like I said, it's found in the details. So excellence is found in scraping the sugar granules off of the table so that there's not specks all over the table as you're going, as you're coming into church on Sunday morning and you're, you're going to get you some coffee. Uh, excellence is found in taping all of these wires. Look at it. Look at how beautiful this looks. Now, if you can see this, it's just beautiful. We got one, two, three, four wires running from there all the way over here running into the the keyboard up to the speakers we've got wires running over here all of them are perfectly in order with tape there are some churches you'll look and it's just a pile of wires everywhere it looks it looks messy excellence is found in the details we want you to focus we want we we want the pastor whoever's speaking at church to 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 be able to focus on preaching not tripping over the wires okay Excellence is found in the details. Excellence is often not found in the obvious, okay? Meaning you can feel it before you see it. You can just feel when someone, an organization or a church or as a person that's living with excellence, you can see it or you can feel it before you see it. When you're truly skilled at something, whether that be art, music, communication, fashion, interior design, or anything else, you won't have to bang doors down. People will start coming to you asking you to provide that service. Now, when you start out, you might have to bang some doors down, but once they see your work, once they see your skillfulness, once they see your gift activated, once they see what you are offering and it's good and it's skillful and it's excellence, man, they're going to be banging your door down. They're going to be coming, approaching you. They're going to be emailing you. They're going to be calling you. They're going to be texting you because what you're doing is with excellence and skillfulness. Amen? Amen. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this. And if I could have the worship team come up. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Let me say that again. <laughs> Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Can we say this together? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whether you're the CEO of a company or an entry-level worker, work at it with all your heart. Whether you're cleaning toilets or you're managing a whole branch of the company, do it with all of your heart. Whether you're on stage on Sunday morning communicating or singing or playing an instrument or you're just part of the setup teardown team, do it with all of your heart. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Whatever you do, do it with excellence. Okay? Whether you're on the stage, you're back there in the nursery or upstairs with the kids, we do it with excellence, skillfulness, and we do it with all of our heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. We're, we're, we're not working for human masters. We're working for the Lord. Amen. So whatever we do, we do it for the Lord. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Next time you want to do a half-hearted job, next time you go into work with the, and you enter in with an attitude, just remember, you're working for the Lord. You're not working for that, that unintegral boss. You're not working for that co-worker that's lying on you. You're not working for that co-worker that, that isn't, isn't uh, holding up their end of the bargain and they're making everybody else work hard. You're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. You're serving the Lord. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. When we view our work from this perspective, we can find meaning and purpose in anything we do, big or small, significant or insignificant. When we view our work as to the Lord, it doesn't matter what we're doing. We can do it with skillfulness and excellence. Whether your work is noticed or unnoticed, whether your work is rewarded or goes unrewarded, whether your work is appreciated or it goes unappreciated, because everything we do, we are doing for the glory of God. And so everything we do, we do with skillfulness, we do with excellence, we do with all of our heart. We do with a good attitude, or we try to, or we fake it till we make it. Whatever we got to do, we just do it, okay? Because we're not doing it for men. We're doing it for God. And as we do it for God, we will bless those around us. So I want to be clear today with you. This message is not three steps to become wealthy. I don't preach sermons like that, okay? I'm not about that life, okay? I hope that's not what you heard today. This message is about the relationship between wisdom and wealth and what the Bible says about these two things. The Bible is not telling us to pursue wealth. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. The Bible isn't telling us to pursue wealth. However, it does tell us to pursue wisdom. And sometimes the byproduct of living our life with wisdom is that wealth is attracted to you because wealth is attracted to wisdom. The reason God blesses us financially is so that we can give it away, so that we can bless other people, so that you and I can be generous. And the more generously you sow into our church, the more we can do for the community. The more stable we are as a church, the more we can focus our attention to the community and the needs of the community. Amen. So when you, when you sow a seed, when you give financially, not only are you trusting God, but you're making a difference. When, when you sow money into kingdom works that advance the gospel, Man, you're, you're reaching. You're, you're, you're part of reaching lost people. We, we've got a couple staff members from Metro World Outreach in Brooklyn. And when you give to organizations like that, they're reaching, I think, 18 to 20,000 kids in New York City every single week, like 120,000 kids worldwide. And when you give to ministries like that, when you sow into ministries like that, you are, you, you are making an impact that far outweighs what you gave, that reaches way further than you could ever imagine. Amen? 
if we're going to do something, we should do the best that we possibly can do. Whatever it is, if we're a teacher, we should become the best teacher for our students that we possibly can be. If we're a stay-at-home mom, we should be the best mom that we can be for our children. If we're a musician, we should practice our craft in order to bring glory to God through our music. If we're a real estate broker, we should find people great places to live with integrity and honesty. No matter what we do, we should strive to be the best that we possibly can be. Not for significance, not for status, but because we're doing it unto the Lord. We're doing it unto the Lord. Amen? Talking about real estate brokers, I remember when we, before we moved to New York City, we were trying to get an apartment, and that was a whole ordeal, my goodness. And we went through several different brokers while, while we were trying to find an apartment. And I remember one time we got to an apartment that we, uh, we were supposed to see, and there was supposed to be someone that opened up the door for us, and they weren't there. So we knocked a few times, the broker knocked a few times, and we waited for a few minutes. And then the broker, he takes out his wallet, takes out a credit card and literally breaks into the apartment. And I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to use you because you lack integrity. If you're breaking into this, what, what else are you going to be cutting the corners on? You know, so we got a new broker right away. We need to do the best possible job we can and stay within the confines of the law, right? Which, which means integrity, okay? We don't break into places if we're a real estate broker. And as I end, I want to say this. Jesus, Jesus didn't half-heartedly go to the cross, did he? He didn't half-heartedly say, well, I guess I'll do this. I don't have anything else to do today. No. <laughs> he gave his whole life for you and I. He gave us everything when he willingly went to the cross and was broken for our sins. When he took our place and took our punishment on the cross. That wasn't half-hearted. He gave us his whole heart when he did that. Even though Jesus, for three and a half years, he went around doing good. He went around healing people. He went around casting out demons. He went around empowering people. He went around restoring people. Even though he raised the dead, he did all of these things. Yet, he went unappreciated. What he did was not valued You'll remember the people shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I want Barabbas. I want the lifelong criminal. And I want this innocent person. I want him crucified. Jesus did everything with his whole heart, yet he went unnoticed and unappreciated and undervalued. But because he loves you and I, and he was being obedient to the Father, he willingly went to the cross. So everything you and I do, big or small, significant or insignificant, we should do with all of our heart as unto the Lord because Jesus first modeled it to us. Amen. Let's pray.